Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We'll be looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 22. And this is an incredible passage dealing with one of Jesus' greatest questions, and I believe he's asking that question even now. Listen to this. While the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. Now that's a, that's a switch. Usually the Pharisees were questioning Jesus. Here, it's towards the end of his life. He's getting right in the middle of their business. And it says, when the Pharisees heard, uh, or so while the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. Here it is. What do you think about the Messiah? They realized they were looking for a Messiah. They didn't even believe he was the Messiah. So they're basically saying, you know, what's going on? What do you believe about this? What do you think about the Messiah? And then he asked this follow-up question. Whose son is he? Hmm. I mean, these are the scholars of the law. They should know. David, they told him. I guess he's David. You know, son of David. Remember blind Bartholomew? He's over by the temple gates, and he hears Jesus come by, and he says, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. He's getting it from the Old Testament passages that the Messiah would be the son of David. So they are answering correctly by saying, uh, I think he's David's son. Jesus knew they would say that, so watch this. Verse 43, he asked them, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? If it's his son, why would he call him Lord? And then he quotes David, verse 44, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how then can the Messiah be the son of David? No one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. So he brings up, a riddle, if you will. How can David call the Messiah Lord and yet him be the son at the same time? And then the opening question is the question we have before us today. Whose son is he after all? Notice, this is something to point out in verse 43. Jesus said, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says, David is saying and speaking under the inspiration by the Spirit. David, inspired by the Spirit. And here's what Jesus is teaching us about the Bible, is that it is the breath of God. It is God-breathed. It is inspired. That's Jesus saying that about a quote out of the Psalms, saying it is the very breath of God. And so that's why we do what we do. After all, if the Bible isn't the Word of God, then what are we doing here, right? I mean, I don't have anything to say. I really don't. I'm a mess, right? But the Bible has everything to say, and the Bible is what makes us who we are in Christ. And so if the Bible is tainted in any way, in any form, and in any place, then it all could be pages of lies, right? But Jesus says, clarifies, to get your mind straight, my mind straight, the Bible is the very Word of God. So the question is, whose son is he? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We will look at this passage in Matthew chapter 1, and we will answer this question. So I want you to see, first of all, that He is the Son of God. Jesus is born of a virgin, and 
by virtue of his virgin birth, he is and maintains the quality and the character or the essence of God himself because he was not born of a man, he was born of God. And how we get that, first of all, is out of God's providential plan. We see that in this passage. We know that God became a man through the birthing, through the avenue of a virgin, not of human origin. So there it is in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, and it says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. Here's how it came about. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, now engagement there was more than just putting an engagement ring on somebody's finger. It was called a betrothal, right? It was betrothed, if you will. It's, it's deeper. I mean, dowries probably have been changed by this time. Agreements have been made. Families are meeting with families. Dads have said, no, this is going to happen. We're building the house. We're turning over the farm. This is a big deal. And the husband or the would-be husband and the would-be wife, they are purifying themselves. They are staying away physically, sexually for purity reasons, which is the way to do it today, still. And he says, in this betrothal that is a serious time. So he was engaged to Mary. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. It's Isaiah, verse 23. And this is a prophecy, uh, Isaiah 7, verse 14. says this, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Verse 24, When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately, until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So, God becoming man, infleshing, incarnating, required no human father. And we'll look at that in just a second. But all of this coming about was a providential plan of God. The right person, in the right place, at the right time, fulfilling the very work of God. And what we have in verse 18 is it says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. So if you would, turn back one page, or, it, or you may just be look across the page, and we have Matthew chapter 1, and you have there a bunch of names. Most of the times we skip all those names, right? I mean, if I'm being honest, we're reading a book, say you're in the book of Numbers or Deuteronomy, and it lists all these lists, and you're just like, da, 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 okay, I'm in, I'm done. You, know, you just look at all those names. I can't even pronounce them sometimes, right? But if you look at these names, you are seeing the very first two words here is, it talks about biblios and then the word genesis, the beginning, the book of the beginning of the historical facts of Jesus. And it gives a, a lineage or 
this guy begat this guy, this guy begat that guy. There's just begat and going all over the place. They can't stop it. Just begetting, begetting, begetting. And you've got all these people. So you have here in Matthew, you have 41 names that goes all the way back to Abraham. And it literally focuses on the lineage of Joseph. But in Luke, it, in chapter 3, it's got the names and the, the, the begettings of Jesus. And it has 77 names. And it goes all the way back to Adam. And it follows the lineage of Mary. And it's showing that, that you've got this lineage, you've got this building up of something major coming. List 41 names in Matthews, list 70, going back to Abraham, 77 names going all the way back to Adam. And then here you have this crescendo of verse 18. It says, but now back to the birth and the lineage of Jesus. That exact same word is being used, the, the genesis of Jesus, the beginning of Jesus. It's providential. I mean, you look back at those names and you got Aram, you've got... Nashon, you got Boaz, Obed, you got Jerem, you got Jehoshaphat, you got Hezekiah, you got Ammon, you got all these names that are listed. And as you're reading these names, you're thinking about all that God did in these men's lives, in these women's life, and you see this building up that a major obstacle would come, or there'd be a major attack, and God would prevail. There would be a chance to wander off to the right or wander off to the left, but they stayed solid, they stayed firm. And God in His providential plan brought right before us a scene to where not only do you see it through the genealogies, but you know the story very well. Why was He back in Bethlehem at this time? Well, as it just so happens that in God's providential plan, there arose Caesar Augustus who said, you know what, I'm going to count everybody. Why? Well, well, because there's an army coming against us and we didn't know how many men we have. Why? And you get all these circumstances that are building around to move this pregnant lady over into Bethlehem for this providential plan of God. Listen to me. We're not here by happenstance. You're not even in this building by happenstance. You may think you got up and chose something, but things just worked out that you're here today. Just exactly like Mary's talking to Joseph. And Joseph says, hey, I got some bad news. What is it? We got to go down 70 miles down to Bethlehem. Why? Look, and he's like, I know, but we got to go. <laughs> got to go, got to do this. Why? I don't know. Man, I don't know if you believe this or not, but you're about to. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You can, you can make all the plans you want to, but God establishes the steps, right? God is sovereign. When we're talking about this, the, the, the providential plan of God in the incarnation with the result of a virgin birth, it is unbelievable what's happening here. But then we get to this is the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. And it just seems so nonchalant, like a regular narrative. This happened, then this happened, and this happened. But all the time, it's a supernatural movement of God, which brings us to the second point. It is supernatural. Look at this. It was discovered that she was pregnant. He was going to not disgrace her publicly, but decided to divorce her secretly. He could, I mean, in some law case, he could have had her killed or stoned for this impropriety. But instead, he loved her and was just going to say, listen, I, I, can't, I can't join in on this. And what was it that he thought at the beginning, what he thought was wrong? I mean, if you're not going to explain this supernaturally, the birth of Mary, how are you going to explain it? There's a couple of theories that are out here. There's the theory that Joseph and Mary, they were guilty of fornication. They were guilty of premarital sex. And they 
Uh, he wanted to act like he was innocent. And so he was going to, he had the choice to publicly humiliate her and it would make him look good. I mean, there's that, that he was moving in that direction. There are those that say that Mary was pregnant because she was raped by a Roman soldier. I mean, I've read that in articles like in Geographic, uh, National Geographics. They've, they've made, they, haven't, they didn't promote that. They just stated that, that was one of the theories. I mean, how do you explain this after all? Unless you actually explain it supernaturally. Now, why do people want to stay away from a supernatural virgin birth? Why do they want to deny that? Let me give you a couple reasons. The first would be because we don't believe God is supernatural at times. And I'm just, when I say we, I'm talking about just the world. There are accusations that God is not supernatural. If there is a God, then He is transcendent, He's far away, but He's not imminent. He's not here, He's not now, He doesn't do things now. And the way that people come up to those conclusions, and they come across them somewhat honestly, is they, you know, when they prayed, something didn't happen. I've never met an individual that hasn't prayed at least once. Everybody has prayed. Particularly if you're in pre-cal, right? You pray a lot. People will pray. And they'll pray things like this. They'll pray, you know, God, I'm fixing to play a baseball game, and, and Lord, I just pray that it doesn't rain. The next thing you know, it rains. And you're like, see, there's no God. Or maybe it's something serious. Maybe someone is very, very ill, and, and then you pray, and, and then nothing, they don't get healed and then you're like, see, there is no God. Or maybe it's like, I pray that this dude falls in love with me if I was a girl. <laughs> or this, sorry, this, let's skip that illustration. Um, you pray for love and it doesn't happen. And you say, see, there is no God. You know, but let me, let me make this statement. God who is providential and sovereign is not held captive to your personal desires and your personal whims and your personal fears. He has bigger plans. And, and we don't know the full picture all the time. And the things that we fear, God didn't fear. It's not no big deal to Him at all. It's just not. So God is not subject to our whims or our emotions or our desires or the things that we think ought to happen. He's, he's not captive to that. Now, God is benevolent and God is loving and God loves you and God answers lots of prayers. No question about it. If God has answered your prayers, raise your hand at one time or another. Amen. So some people don't believe that God is supernatural. And so they say, it couldn't be a virgin birth. Well, let me, let me, let me just let's get back to a supernatural. Sometimes the mundane can be supernatural. Uh, you've been here for a few minutes. You're going to be here a lot longer, trust me. No, not really. <laughs> I'll be done in just a second. Um, most of us, I'd say it'd be, it'd be a good bet to say, I bet none of us have, has thought about uh, breathing, right? Probably haven't, you haven't been saying, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, breathe out. You've just been breathing, right? Just, just happened. We haven't even thought, we probably didn't even think, hey, I'm conscious and I didn't even know it. <laughs> We've never had that thought, did you? You're conscious, you're breathing. If by chance you take uh, your right index finger and you put it right under your left thumb, you'd feel a ba-bump, 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 ba-bump. Probably didn't think about your heart doing that like that. Most of us didn't. So here you are life, conscious, mental, breathing, heart-pumping life. And you just go, yeah, I don't think anything's supernatural. Dude, do you think you were just a bunch of molecules that these ignorant molecules, the amoebas, one-cell beings, just decided, you know what, let's make a person. And then you came about, do you think that happened? 
What if you were shipwrecked and you made it to an island? And there, you, could, you could see it far off and you swam and you swam and you got to this island. The next thing you know, you pull up and you see this incredible food buffet. And the first thing you think is, how did this get here? And then what if somebody came up to you and said, you know what, all the leaves and all the berries and all the cabbage, I don't know how it grew, but it's got there. They all just decided to jump in a plate and cook themselves and have it out there for you. I mean, nothing goes from simple to complex. Everything goes from complex to simple, right? Just like your body, just like my body. And so to think for a moment that this buffet food just popped out of an island, which is complex, is not near as complex as what's on top of your shoulders. I mean, think about it. Breathing, conscious, blood's moving through your body. I would submit to you, you live in the supernatural as evidence of the supernatural all around you, but we sometimes don't notice. And on occasion, as God supernaturally set laws in place, human laws, natural laws, that occasionally He interrupts those laws when He comes in, and this is what He did. I'm telling you, what I'm saying is Jesus was born of a virgin, and it is supernatural. Look at it. He just says, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This is verse 20. Because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She, was, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Now, don't think for a moment Joseph didn't have an important role in the life of Jesus. Even though he, Joseph is not the father of Jesus, God is the father of Jesus, born through Mary while she's a virgin, Joseph was still given the responsibility to father him on earth, to be an earthly father. He gives him the duty. The angel says to him, listen, he's not yours, Jesus isn't going to be yours, but I'm going to give you responsibility by the virtue of naming him. See, that's the job of the dad. It's to name here, doesn't have to be in our context. Here, Joseph names him. That was the Jewish custom. But he didn't get to choose the name. That name was said in eternity past. That name is all through prophets, prophecies. And here it is. The angel is saying, you name him Jesus. And that's exactly what Joseph did. It's supernatural. Not only is it supernatural, but it is prophetic. And here we get to this. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in the womb, and she gave birth. Here's the prophecy. Verse 22. Now all this took place. So verse 18 to 21 is the narrative of what happened. Then Matthew commentates, and Matthew gets us lined up and ready to hear this next piece. And he says, now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Once again, you see Matthew attesting to the fact that the Bible is the very Word of God, that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Now, just some, just some applications here. When we're talking about things that exist that are supernatural, do you realize that you have your Bible because it has a supernatural origin? God breathed. That was Jesus' words. Paul says the same thing in Timothy. God breathed. And what you have with a copy of the Bible, and I would bet that everybody here has not just one Bible, but many Bibles. And you probably have many Bibles even on your phone. You have access to it. 
Let me, let me challenge you as this new year comes that you would make a commitment. It's more, probably you've never done this before. You may not have ever done this before, but you're just going to say, I'm going to read through the Bible this next year, starting January 1. It just takes a few pages every day. And if you do it, and if you're like me, you might forget a day. And so the next day you just read four chapters, right? You know how long a chapter is? Four pages, right? If you read the San Angelo Times cover to cover, the big paper that it is, you probably could read half the New Testament at the same time. It's not that difficult. And you just take it in. Here's why I'm even saying this. It's because it's supernatural. You and I want to see God move, then let's begin to think like God. Let's begin to see how He moves. And what happens is faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. So it's very, very valuable. So when we're reading a prophecy, it's something that is supernatural. God was speaking through Isaiah. Isaiah says this, See the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We're talking about the incarnation being prophesied right here. God becoming man. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh and being born just like you were born through the natural birth process. However, his father wasn't human. His father directly was God by the means of the Holy Spirit. And when Isaiah was prophesying, 600 years before this moment, he was saying, listen, the Messiah, the evidence of God being with us, it's going to happen through a virgin, a, birth, a virgin birth. Now, what's interesting here, those that don't believe Jesus was born of a virgin, even though the Bible says so, they will say, actually, that word virgin in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 it just means young maiden. It's Alma. The Hebrew word is Alma. It's young maiden. It, it, it doesn't mean that she had never known a man. It just means that she was young. And actually, that is true. That you can interpret it as a, as a virgin or someone who's just young. That's true. You can take that word to do that. But here's what's interesting. Is that there was a man out of God's providential plan of supernatural endeavors, raised, rose something man, brought him up, and there arisen, there arisen, there arose, where am I on this? He raised up, he raised up this guy, and this guy's name was Alexander the Great, right? Alexander the Great was a mighty warrior, he had conquered the known world, he'd moved over to the east, and here he wanted the Middle East to speak Greek, and he wanted the Greek culture to fall in, and so next thing you know, this Middle East country, they're now captured and they're speaking and writing all of their primary documents back into Greek. And that's, his, his endeavor was called the Hellenization of the world. And when they took the Hebrew Bible and they wrote it in Greek, they translated it into Greek, it's called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint, when you're reading Bible books, it'll be, you'll know it by, it's called, it's LXX, that's the Septuagint because 70 scholars translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And what's interesting is this, is that the word used in the Greek, the Hellenization translation of the Septuagint, is a very specific word for virgin. Not just young maiden, but virgin. What's interesting is Matthew quotes the Septuagint and not the Hebrew Bible. 
As if God were to look into the future and say, hey, Alma's not good enough for you. How about this word that just means virgin? And then everybody steps back and goes, this is exactly what it meant. You can't monkey around with God's word. It means what it means when it says what it says. And we take it. When it says Jesus was born of a virgin, then we believe it. And what's at stake? Well, let me tell you what's at stake. Millard Erickson says this. If we do not hold to the virgin birth, Millard Erickson is a, is a famous theologian, writes a lot of books. If we do not hold to the virgin birth, despite the fact that the Bible asserts it, then we have compromised the authority of the Bible, and there is, in principle, no reason why we should hold to any of its teaching. Here's what he says. Look, the Bible proclaims it. Well, let me back up a second. Do you realize that there's some people that claim to be leaders of churches or leaders of seminaries that say the Bible doesn't teach that? Do you know that? These are the same people. I remember listening on the radio to one guy out of Fort Worth, and he says this. He said, you know what? It doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead or not. What matters is that he's alive in your heart. And I heard a bunch of people in the audience go, amen. I'm going, no, amen. No, amen. Don't amen that. If he didn't raise from the dead, if he's not alive, he ain't alive in your heart. I don't know what you're feeling, but it ain't Jesus. You're a mess. I know another guy. He has a crystal church. He's He's no longer alive. He made the comment. He said, listen, I don't write about the virgin birth. I don't speak about the virgin birth because I don't talk about the things that I can't explain. And that's why George Barna found out that 41% of the people who attend a church do not believe in the virgin birth. Now, I'm not talking about us, right? I'm talking about all these groups that they claim to be a church, but they don't teach and speak and honor and respect the word of God. That's why they don't believe that. The, the pulpits of the lands in America are anemic because they do, do, they do not believe every jot, every tittle of the Word of God. So that's what Millard Erickson says. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, then you know what? What are you going to do with the Bible? You know, there's some people that have a Gillette Bible. You know what a Gillette Bible is? You take a razor and you cut out the parts you don't like. It's a Gillette Bible. Or you have a Dalmatian Bible. You know what a Dalmatian Bible is? You say only, it's only inspired in spots, right? And then you have to ask the question, well, who inspires you to spot the spots, right? Jesus born a virgin. Listen to what Carl F.H. Henry said. He argues that the virgin birth is the essential historical indication of the incarnation, and he's exactly right. If there, is no in, if there is no incarnation, you don't need a virgin birth. If there is a virgin birth, then God can become man. Dr. Walford, the president, former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, says the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. Upon it, the whole substructure of Christian theology rests. The whole essence of Christianity is predicted on the fact that Jesus is God in flesh. It's predicated right there. Man, this is a big deal. Jesus was born of a virgin. Now, why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Well, so God could become man. See, our problem, my problem, our problem, our world's problem, our earth's problem is sin. And sin is a result of the heart of man. And this sin that was passed down from Adam to his descendants, to all the begets, all the way to you, is transferred through the bloodline, right? 
So sin, according to the Torah, sin, the first five books of the Bible, sin is in the blood. Did you know that's what the male pro provides in a conception? It's the blood. So Jesus could not have been born of a, a man. He had to be born of God through the Holy Spirit. So with, without a sinful nature, Jesus was perfect and lived a perfect life. So if Mary wasn't a virgin, then Jesus was a liar. If Mary wasn't a virgin, then Jesus stumbled in sin like you and I did. And if Jesus, was, if, if Jesus wasn't pure, then he couldn't be the pure sacrifice on the cross because he had to be the unblemished lamb according to the Old Testament. After all, we all are sinners, right? And if you pay for your own sin, then you would die. For instance, if I run a stop site and I get a ticket, then I pay for my sin because I have the capability to write them a check for $39.95. That's what they go for these days on sale, right? <laughs> I don't know what they are. Actually, I do, but I don't want to tell you that. <laughs> but you talk about eternal damnation. I can't pay for that. I can't pay for my eternal sin against the eternal God who has an eternal damnation towards me. I can't. I can't. You, my friend, just like me, have sinned before God. You say, no, I haven't. Well, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever lusted? Have you ever hated somebody? Jesus says, if that's true, then you're a liar, you're a murderer, and you're an adulterer. So we're all guilty, right? Can you handle the judgment of God on your own? Can you? It's not a parking ticket. It's not a speeding ticket. It's eternal damnation. But Jesus who is God in the flesh, when he goes to the cross, he's able to bear the judgment of the whole world. If there is no virgin birth, there is no incarnation. If there is no incarnation, there's no perfect sacrifice. If there is no perfect sacrifice, you and I are doomed. But brother and sister, let me tell you, he was born of a virgin. Absolutely, he was born of a virgin. He did live a perfect life. He willingly surrendered himself to the cross, and he absolutely died on the cross for all men. He absolutely did. And you know what? It gets even better than that. Because he was born of a virgin, not only did he die on a cross, but he was placed in a dark, dank tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. You know why? Because he's born of a virgin, because he's the incarnated Savior. And you know what? It gets even better than that. He was on this hillside telling his, disciples to make, telling his disciples to reach the whole world. And next thing you know, he goes up into heaven. And he goes up into heaven and he sends down the Holy Spirit, the one that conceived him. Remember that? And the Holy Spirit comes down. And since that moment, he's been giving new birth to you and me, whoever asks. Do you need new birth today? Oh, it gets better than that. <laughs> So he was born of a virgin. He lived the perfect life. He was the perfect substitute. He went in the tomb and he rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit comes. And guess what? Because he was born of a virgin, he's in heaven now making intercession for you and for me. And that way, whenever, as a Christian, as a newborn, born again by the Holy Spirit, then I, anytime I sin, I can say, Lord, forgive me my sins. And Jesus says, I got that one. I got that one. In fact, I got them all. And you know what? It gets better than that. Because he was born of a virgin. Because he was perfect. It's perfect sacrifice. He was died on the cross for you. 
Because He was put in that tomb and He rose from the dead and He sent the Holy Spirit to come and regenerate your heart. And now He's in heaven interceding. He's coming back again. And He will come riding on that white horse. He will. And we will see where it says he is, He's got a tat. How many of you know that Jesus has a tat? He does, doesn't He? And it's right on His... Where is it? Does anybody know? Bam! Right there. And what's it say? I forgot, but it's really cool. <laughs> I think it says Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, parents, I'm not telling your kids to go do that if, if it's not your permission. I'm just saying, Jesus has got a tat. It just does. He's coming back again. He's coming back. So the question, listen, the question right now is not, was he born of a virgin? We know that. The question isn't, did he live a good life, a perfect life? The question... Isn't everything he said was true? We know that's true. The question isn't, did he die on the cross, go in the grave, raise from the dead, ascend? The question isn't, is he coming back again? The question is, whose son is he to you? That's the question. That's the question Jesus asked. And his voice is thundering through every church and every home out of every Bible right now. You answer that question. If he's the son of God, then guess what? You have hope. If Jesus is truly the son of God, of God, then the Bible is true when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You can become a son of God because Jesus was born of a virgin. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamina's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.